The title of today's message, brethren, is What Does Prophecy Do for Us? What does prophecy do for us? You know, a huge portion of the Bible is made up of prophecy. And like so many of the other threads we've discussed recently, it starts in the book of Genesis, first messianic prophecy in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis has many prophecies pertaining to the Messiah, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the nations, and even in Genesis Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, said to his 12 sons, let me tell you what will befall you at the end of the age. So you have prophecy at the beginning of the Bible that points all the way to the end. And then you flip over to the other end of the inspired word. You have the book of Revelation, which is a prophetic book by and large as well, a revelation of what is to come. And it points to end time events, the establishment of the kingdom of God. And then threaded out throughout all the books in between, you have prophecy. And, and you have it at various points towards various people, emphasis on various times. But again, the point is it's a major part of the word of God. That said, between one quarter and one third of the Bible is estimated to be prophecy, depending on what you label as prophecy in that way. And while there's many prophecies that have already been fulfilled and become a part of history, there's many, many prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, even from our perspective as we look forward. And sadly, okay, prophecy is a big deal, okay, right? It focuses a lot of our emphasis, but sadly, it can be easy to become derailed in certain ways on the emphasis that we might personally put on prophecy. Now, we should put a heavy emphasis on it, but as we'll come to understand uh, in the message today, we don't want to be just knowers. We want to have the prophecy in that way impact our lives, direct how we live each and every day today. And so it can be easy, really, to look at prophecy much like a big jigsaw puzzle that, you know, has to be pieced together. And we'll take this piece and bring it over here and this piece over here. And we'll see if we can put it together and make a picture. And, you know, but, but it doesn't exactly work maybe to have the, the tree growing out of the middle of the lake. So obviously it doesn't go there. Let's take that out and put it over here. Um, you know, this is sort of, in one sense, uh, how, how prophecy can, can absorb time. We want to know exactly who's going to do what and when and where it's going to happen. And so it can be easy, and I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't, but it can be easy to spend a tremendous amount of time and energy trying to figure out just exactly how each piece fits together. But as Paul said, we see through a glass darkly. And, and you know, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but actually once that which is in part has come to pass, we'll see and understand in full. But God gives us the big picture, right? And he gives us the steps along the way. So we should seek to understand these things to the best of our ability. But let's be careful in the process, brethren, that we don't push aside what prophecy does for our spiritual lives and how it's in, intended to affect our walk with God today. Again, it's not just knowledge. It's not just the accumulation of interesting things that, you know, sort of excite our senses of what lies ahead. Prophecy actually is designed to impact how we live our life each and every day in response to God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, the disciples asked Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, that was following his resurrection, now just shortly before his ascension in the day of Pentecost. And they're saying, is it going to be now? 
And you recall Jesus' response to them. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. And so he basically said, you know, it's not your business to know right now. You do know it's going to happen. You do know it's coming. But the exact timing of when, that's not really for you to know. You go be my witnesses, he said. You go preach the gospel. And you declare the good news that indeed it is coming. And you live your lives today in a way that is reflective of that kingdom. And so it's not that we're going to figure out just exactly the specific timing of every single event. You know, I suppose if you had 10,000 people guess what day Jesus Christ is going to return, maybe somebody will land upon it. But not because it's specifically given to us in God's word. So we don't want to just become consumed with trying to figure every detail of how these things fit together. But the main point is you be ready. You be ready. You get your life in order because the message is God the Father is sending back Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom. That time is coming, and you and I need to be ready for his return. And so what we need to keep in mind is that prophecy is not only news in advance, but it's also a key way that God deals with human beings in order to work his work in us and bringing many sons to glory. And prophecy shows us the great purpose of our lives, and it motivates us to right conduct as we move towards that goal. Okay, we've all had goals in life, right? We've all had visions. I want to run, say, a marathon. And you don't just go do it. You don't just go say you're going to do it. You work and you train and you put effort towards that goal. And in the same way, prophecy helps to open up before us what the ultimate end is. What the goal is, God has us work toward, and then we order our lives accordingly each and every day. And so again, the title is, What Does Prophecy Do For Us? So as we go through the message today, I want to cover five ways that Bible prophecy should impact our spiritual lives beyond the who and the where and the why exactly. We want to talk about the what. What does prophecy do for us? In our spiritual walk with God today. So point number one, we'll just jump right into it. Point number one, prophecy assures us that God is in control and that there is a plan. Prophecy assures us that God is in control and there is a plan. Let's begin in Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46, where better to read about God's effect on prophecy than from the prophet himself. Isaiah chapter 46, and let's pick it up in verse 9. Again, the emphasis of God has his arms wrapped around this, and he's in the driver's seat, and things are going ultimately where he would have them to go, to their final end, and he is in control. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 9 says, Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. And so again, brethren, prophecy assures us that God's in control of these things, and that he has a plan, he has a purpose. It's not just a haphazard sort of events that are going to transpire at the end of the age, God has a purpose for carrying out the things he has planned, that he has planned in advance. 
You know, for us, it can be discouraging to look around at the world around us and we see wars, we see famines, uh, we see all kinds of trouble. We see crime, we see rampant immorality, we see a lack of common sense in many ways, and we can wonder to ourselves, where is God in all of this? And in fact, that's the question that many people will ask as they look around at their life and at the society around them. It's like, if there really is a God, then why would it be like this? You know, I would imagine it would be different than this if he was involved. But prophecy encourages us not to lose heart. Because God is involved. He is in control. His purpose indeed will be accomplished. And it assures us that the God who declares the end from the beginning has both the will and the power to bring to pass that which he has declared. And he will do so in his time, in his way. Again, according to his perfect purpose. And so when you see all the prophecies in the Bible that have already been faithfully fulfilled, it does remind us God has not forsaken the world. God is in control, that he's on his throne directing the course of events according to his purpose. We can understand as we study through biblical prophecy that God reveals himself through those events. Indeed, prophecy shows us that God is eternal. Okay, he's not subject to time and space in the same ways of limitations that you and I are, we're actually involved in a plan that was ordained from before the foundation of the world. So we understand God is eternal and, and is the one overseeing this from his perspective. Prophecy shows us that God is holy and that God is all-powerful, that there's nothing that he can't bring to pass in order to fulfill his purpose. And through prophecy, God also reveals his objective for us which is mankind's redemption and salvation. How do we understand our purpose? How do we know what God has in store for us as his children? Well, that's a prophetic revelation, right? That, that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is, because we will be as he is. That's, that's the prophecy, but that's the hope as well, that we're part of the family of God in eternity, Dwelling in glory, as he and his son do. Again, that is a prophetic revelation, and it gives us direction. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he's a plan for that, right? Each in their own order. But he has a plan and a purpose in the way that he's working it out to give all opportunity to respond to him in repentance and in their time. And so studying prophecy helps us to understand the power God has to do all things that he purposes. And it reminds us time and time again, he is in control. Let's go to the book of Daniel, now chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, and we'll pick it up in verse 20. You recall that Daniel was a senior advisor to the court of Babylon, and as such, he actually had a front seat to some amazing things. He saw kings come and go, kingdoms come and go, rise and fall, fulfilling stages of prophecy that God had revealed to him. He saw it in effect in real time. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 20, the context here is Nebuchadnezzar, who'd had a dream that he couldn't explain, none of his wise men could explain it. Upon the threat of death. 
And so Daniel then, by God's revelation, is able to come in and give the answer. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. It says he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things, and he knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. And so prophecy, brethren, as, as we see it declared and then we later see it fulfilled, it assures us, you know what, there is a God. And he's in control over all things, and, and he's moving things along according to his purpose and his plan. He uses people and individuals, and it's not like God steamrolls over anybody to accomplish what he's going to do. I was thinking this morning in the car of uh, Egypt and Pharaoh, and the fact that it said God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then Pharaoh did certain things that actually helped fulfill God's purpose. And you might think, well, why did God do that? Did he just steamroll over Pharaoh to cause him to do these things? Well, no, understand, Pharaoh's heart was already hard. And he was already directed in that bent. And God just kind of helped give him a little encouragement towards what it is that was already truly in his heart. And God used him to fulfill his purpose. Just like today, he can use Satan the devil to fulfill his ultimate purpose. So again, God works in, in history. God works in kingdoms. God works in nations to direct what it is that... He will do, and it proves that he indeed is God. And all of this serves together to bolster our faith in him and the perfect plan that he has established from before the foundation of the world. So again, point number one was prophecy assures us that God is in control and that there is a plan. Point number two, prophecy motivates us unto repentance. Prophecy motivates us unto repentance. Again, we're talking about what is the impact on our life today, you know, in real active time as we study prophecy. It should motivate us unto repentance. You know, a major theme found again and again in the Bible tied to prophecy is that choices and actions have consequences. And one of the biggest mistakes people can make is to think, you know, I can live my life with impunity. And I can make decisions, and I can do whatever it is I want, and I won't really receive the consequences of my actions. But, you know, the Bible speaks directly to that, and the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6, verse 7, confronts that when he says, do not be deceived. It's, it's like what Mr. Klein was talking about today. This is a self-deception, right? I can get away with doing what I want to do, and there's no real consequence. The Apostle Paul says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So, you know, we have farmers in our congregations, and they could tell you whatever seed it is you drill into the ground is going to be the crop that comes forward and the fruit that's produced. You're not going to plant oats and grow watermelons. And the point is, in terms of how we live our lives, if you seed the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. And that is partly, as well, what we see through prophecy, that cause and effect. So the overall purpose of Bible prophecy, in part, is to encourage us to change our lives and to help us see that the things we do ultimately lead to an outcome, to see what the outcome is that the world is heading to, 
through the things that they do, and it causes us to turn away from doing those ourselves. Prophecy includes both warnings of punishment for sin, as well as promises of reward for obeying God. And it's listed time and time and time again according to the model of blessings and cursings. And, and many of it doesn't require a great intervention from God. Many of it is just the natural momentum of the decisions that w this world makes. But prophecy encourages us as the people of God, I hope, to repent. Why? Because it tells us there's a time of judgment coming. Right? There's a level of accountability that is in place. And indeed, so many of the prophets' warnings to Israel and Judah through the centuries came with the message of repent. Right? Here's what's coming. Here's what your actions are leading to. But if you truly repent, if you'll turn to God, that doesn't have to be. And God indeed will relent. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 1. Let's, let's notice the way that repentance is inextricably linked, at least the call to repentance, to these prophecies. Jeremiah chapter 25, beginning in verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah concerning the people of Judah. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Okay, so we have our time stamp here. You know, Babylon has not yet come into Judah and begin dragging the people out in the captivity. There's still time. Okay, but in many ways, the handwriting's on the wall. Verse 2, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, this is the 23rd year in which the word of the Lord has come to me. Jeremiah says, I've been prophesying for 23 years about God's message. Turn back from idolatry. Turn from the ways of the world. Return to God. If you don't, there's trouble coming. And that has been the message for 23 years. The word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not listened. Verse 4, and the Lord sent to you all his servants and the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. And so God sent prophets with warning, with judgment that would come. Here's what's on the horizon. Here is surely what will come to pass by God's power and will to bring it to pass because of your action. But notice what it's coupled with. Verse 5. What did these prophets say? They said, verse 5, repent. Now every one of his evil way and his evil doings and dwell in the land that the Lord has given you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands and I will not harm you. Okay, this is the prophecy that was declared, you're going to be taken to captivity, but the message from God is, turn to me, submit in repentance, change your life, and the outcome will be very different. And so ultimately, the purpose and the hope of the prophecy, and the fact that there is a day of judgment, the day of the Lord in their day, was that it would turn them from their ways and restore them to God again. Prophecy was the motivator for that change. 
But sadly, they didn't heed it, and we recall their story. They ended up in captivity in Babylon. But brethren, when you think about it, so much of the Bible and the prophecy contained there is given in light of mankind's sins or God's redemption. But, but you know, sin sort of becomes the trigger of that. Why was there a need for a Messiah, right? Someone to come to die for the sins of the world. Why was that even necessary? Well, because of sin. Well, that started in the beginning, and the prophecies built upon that all through the books of the Bible, pointing to his first coming, then ultimately pointing to his second coming, the day of the Lord, God's judgment upon the earth that is prophesied to come in so many different places. Again, the, the foundational reason, the trigger, is turning from God. It's, it's the sin of the nations that indeed one day will come into judgment. But all of these prophetic messages are always coupled with the plea to repent and to change. To return to me, God says, to forsake your ways, and I will relent and leave a blessing in his place. So that's what God wants to see motivated in us through prophecy. Indeed, prophecy is an urgent means of teaching the right way to live from a loving God. It's God's way of shaping us and molding us into his image as his sons and daughters, as those who are repentant and then become like God the Father and Jesus Christ in our nature. Prophecy does that. It motivates that in us. If indeed we're receptive to this intent. I'll just remind you of the New Testament response of at least some people when they recognize that they were on the receiving end of fulfilled prophecy. Think of the day of Pentecost, 31 AD. Right? Peter gets up and there's... there's open signs and wonders that are taking place because the Holy Spirit has been poured out and people are wondering what's going on with these people. And Peter gives his dramatic sermon and as he goes through that sermon, he's talking about King David and the prophecies of David pointing to the Christ that God has said, you know, he won't leave his soul in the grave. He would not see corruption. He would not allow him to see that. And Peter said, this was who Jesus Christ was. He was the prophesied Messiah. He died. Now he's been resurrected. He sit at the right hand of God. And you know what? You killed him, the prophesied one. And suddenly people came to the realization of their moment, of where they stood in prophecy. And the impact hit them, at least 3,000 on that day. And their response was, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent. Right? Be baptized. Receive the Holy Spirit. And, and this is what God has, has offered to his people. But again, repentance was the effect of rightly understanding the prophecy and their need to respond to it. This was the prophesied one whom they had killed. And they needed to find some way to remedy their own heart with God. It only came through repentance. So again, this is a very huge purpose of prophecy. So as we study through things that have happened and been fulfilled, things that are yet to be fulfilled, some things that seem very huge and dramatic, understand there is a day of judgment coming. And it's not that God desires to necessarily scare us to death, but there, there should be a degree of a fear factor, a proper fear and awe and reverence for God and realization of what is coming and turning to him in repentance.
leads us to point number three, which is very closely related. Point number three of what prophecy does for us. Prophecy encourages us to live according to the righteousness of God today. Prophecy encourages us to live according to the righteousness of God today. In other words, it motivates us to be the kind of godly people he's called us to be. Again, because of what we see lies before, and not just the switch of punishment by which, you know, maybe a spanking will come, but actually, hopefully a better motivator even is the reward of blessing that God has laid out before us of what it is he ultimately purposes. But we have to be doing our part. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, again, again, the emphasis is it's great to know prophecy, and we do need to know it. And it's great to kind of see how it fits together. We do need to understand that. But we cannot neglect the fact that it must impact our lives unto action. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed is he who reads, okay, this, this book of Revelation, and who hears the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So understand, again, our response isn't just to be a knowing. I know what's going to happen. I know when it's going to happen. It's going to be this way, this way, this way. That's wonderful. But our response to these things of what indeed will happen is a doing and coming in line with what God has directed. And, and let's notice how, again, knowledge of the prophecy then impacts are living today. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 10. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Let's look at a future prophecy. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 10 says, "But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night." in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. To me, when I read this, this is a, in many ways, a scary prophecy, frightening prophecy. It's, it's actually a summary of multiple prophecies brought together to point to a time and an age, but you don't want to be on the wrong side of that prophecy. And so the question is, what can we do about it? Can we change it? No, God has a plan. He's bringing to pass. And unless the entire world were to change direction in repentance, uh, you know, what can we do? Well, the point is nothing apart from ourselves. We can change ourselves. We can prepare ourselves. We can respond to this prophecy by directing ourselves. And that's what we're told to do. Verse 11 says, Therefore, in light of this understanding... Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Living righteously has to be our focus to everything that we see in prophecy. Either you don't want to be on the receiving end of judgment for not living righteously. That could be a motivator. But perhaps because I want to be in the righteous kingdom of God and a part of the family of God for eternity Perhaps as well, that can be your motivator for living according to righteousness. Either way, the point is, this is given to you that therefore you would respond and order your life 
accordingly. Verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming, coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, get in light of all this, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Jump down to verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, right? The prophecy has been given. You see it. You understand. Since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. So again, we must allow these prophecies to motivate us into a deeper relationship with God and establish ourselves in right living before him reconciled to him, taking on the nature of God the Father, Jesus Christ, so that we will be there to see him as he is, because we will be as he is, in the same likeness of the same glory, but ultimately of the same character. That's, that's our goal. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Again, how should knowledge of these things impact us? Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's Jesus Christ. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So if we're looking forward to the time of Christ's appearing, then Titus says, or Paul to Titus, that our response ought to be to live accordingly, live in righteousness, live soberly, order your lives in such a way that you will be ready when he comes. We don't know the time, per se, exactly, as events roll out, hopefully we're observant. We'll get an idea probably pretty well what's coming. But of the day and hour, no one knows except God in heaven. But we do know the day and hour we must be prepared and ready. We must be living it, brethren, today. And that's the emphasis of this. Indeed, Jesus Christ himself warned his disciples of the importance of being ready, of living in purposeful anticipation. You know, it could come tomorrow, so I'm going to be ready tomorrow. Matthew chapter 24, verse 42. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 42, the words of Jesus Christ. And he says, watch, therefore, watch, for you do not know the hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 45, who then is a faithful and a wise servant? whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. This is to be the standard of our living. It's what we're to be busying ourselves with each and every day. Verse 47, Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. 
But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master delays his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards, right? The opposite of righteous living, actually turning to have a good time according to the ways of the world, not according to what we read previous in anticipation of his coming. It says the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour that he's not aware of and will cut him into and appoint him as portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not a very good scene. Clearly, by Jesus' words, it's possible to be caught unaware of his return. And, and not unaware from the sense of, I thought it was next year, not next month. No, unaware from the fact that you're not living according to the standard of this calling. You're not ready to meet him in the air. Not ready for the calling to which we've been given unto ultimate salvation and purpose. So the message is, according to Jesus Christ, that we have to be watching. Watching what? We watch the news, that's important, and we watch world events, those things are certainly important, help us to understand the day and age we live, but the priority of the message is to watch yourself, watch your spiritual condition, watch your heart, make sure you are ready for that time. Don't let it catch you as a thief in the night. It will indeed do so for much of the world. Don't let it do so for you. Allow the Bible prophecy to guide you to faithful living Knowing exactly the day that Christ will return is not the gold star of prophecy. Okay, that's not the prize, knowing the exact day. But knowing that he will come back and living accordingly in righteousness, that's the correct outcome to the prophecy that we've been given. And it should motivate us each and every day. Again, it encourages us to live according to the righteousness of God today. Point number four. Point number four of what prophecy does for us. Prophecy gives us understanding of the times in which we live. Prophecy gives us understanding of the times in which we live. Again, we might wonder why the world around us is the way it is. And we might wonder how it is we're supposed to function in this world. You know, in certain ways, things are good. In certain ways, it's getting ready to crane off a cliff. And sometimes we can be conflicted, we can be torn between the two, and we wonder how are we supposed to respond to this world. Prophecy aids us in that because it illuminates the path before us. It gives us understanding of the times in which we live. It helps us to understand how we ought to respond. Come out of her, my people, God said. Right? That's for a time and a place and a set of circumstances that actually will come in dramatic fashion, but that is very real in our world today as well. But again, the fact that there is a judgment helps us to understand what our response even to these things ought to be today. Jesus Christ was critical of his generation for their inability to properly discern the times, and especially given the prophecies that existed about him. All these prophecies in the Old Testament that pointed to the coming of the Messiah, the first coming, and they should have known who it was indeed in their day. Who stood before them? Luke chapter 12, verse 54. Luke chapter 12 and verse 54. Again, brethren, we have to 
study and rely on prophecy for helping us to understand the time and place in which we live today and indeed what our response to it ought to be. Luke chapter 12 and verse 54. Then Jesus said to the multitudes, Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say, A shower is coming. And so it is. You know, they didn't have Doppler radar back in the day, but you could look on the horizon. You could see the change in the weather that was coming in. Verse 55, And when you see the south wind blow, you say, There will be hot weather. And there is. Hypocrites, he says, You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? Jesus was rebuking them because they were so steeped in their cultural traditions and their customs that they couldn't even see who it was that was standing right there in front of them. Doing miracles. Fulfilling prophecies. Because you can predict the weather and you can say it's going to storm tomorrow. And you know what? It's going to storm tomorrow. You can look at these signs. And you've been looking for the Messiah. In fact, the prophecies are here. And you've been searching and waiting anxiously for him. You can't even discern the time in which you're standing. And that was his rebuke to them. It's interesting. They were actually going through fulfilling prophecy by their own ignorance of what was taking place. You know, God does that sometimes as well. You know, in my mind, I was thinking... Okay, so there's this prophesied beast system at the end of the age, this political religious system backed by uh, Satan the devil and his powers. And you go, everybody's on the lookout for it, right? All, all the Christian denominations are on the lookout for the beast system. You don't want to be part of the beast. What's the mark of the beast? Who's the beast? Everybody, everybody wants to know. Everybody's looking. How is it that all will worship the beast except those who are written in the Lamb's book of life? Seems like almost everybody, but they're looking for it. They're anticipating it. We're not going to get sucked into it. These were looking for the Messiah in their day, and he stood right before them, and they couldn't even see him because of their own blindness and their own prejudice. I think it's an important warning, brethren, for us indeed as well. But Christ was rebuking them, and he called them hypocrites because they should have discerned the times. Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19 and verse 29, you know, a few did, a few actually understood, but very few. Luke chapter 19 and verse 29, it came to pass when he drew near Bethphage, that Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, okay, he sent two of his disciples. He's, he's approaching the Mount of Olives, getting ready to drop down into Jerusalem. Verse 30 saying, go to the village opposite you where there is, and as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to them, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way, found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owner said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Okay, the Lord has need of him. Understand, this was another fulfillment of prophecy. And it was a point that people should have picked up on, at least some did, but this was a point of emphasis. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. 
Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on the donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's like, how much more direct do you have to get before they're going to get the picture of, of who this is? Okay, but he's going to fulfill a very specific and an open prophecy, indeed, to nail that point home, hopefully, at least for some, verse 35, and when they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus upon him, and as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. So, as Darla reminds me, every time we come across this, actually, this is a miracle in and of itself. If you take this colt that's never been sat upon, and you take him away from his mother, and you throw garments on him, and you put a person on him, and you throw clothes out on the street, and people are walking, or the colt's walking on that, and people are throwing palm branches out there, and he's tromping through those. What are you going to have by nature? You can have a rodeo. <laughs> and this was miraculous, but again, this was fulfilling prophecy clear and direct in his day. Verse 36, and as he went, many spread clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Parallel prophecy over in Matthew 21 verse 9 says that they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. As in they understood the prophecies at this point, at least some. This was the son of David. This was the prophesied king. This was the Messiah, your king, lowly and riding on a colt. All right. This was a fulfillment of these things. And if you had understanding, because they understood was being fulfilled before their eyes. They knew the moment of their salvation, at least from the perspective of the Messiah being revealed to them and their eyes being open. They understood the day in which they lived. And brethren, the question for us is, do we, as we look at the world around us, as we look at the biblical narrative of what is yet to come, do we discern the times in which we live? Indeed, we must. We must be attentive to these things. This is the reality. Verse 39, And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, saying, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. What are they saying? What are you allowing them to say? Who do you think you are? Rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. You know, this was the reality of the time that could not be denied. The prophecies pointed to it. Jesus Christ's own words pointed to it. And the people saw with their own eyes. Indeed, this is who this is, the son of David. Verse 41, now as he drew near, he saw the city, wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they were hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, 
It says, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. And notice why. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Do you think God expects us to understand the times in which we live prophetically? I think he clearly does. But you know, that requires something of us. That requires knowing what the prophecies say about the times, which requires studying God's word. It takes knowing what we see around us and how it all applies, which means we have to open our eyes and look. And unlike the Pharisees that Christ contended with, we have to be willing to see it. And we can't let custom or tradition or, frankly, what might just make us comfortable in this day and age overwhelm us to the point that we're not willing to push that comfort zone and see, indeed, what there is to see. It was right there before the Pharisees, but they were not willing, and Jesus called them hypocrites. Indeed, it must not be so among us. Prophecy is given in order to help us understand the times in which we live. Romans chapter 13 Verse 11. Romans 13, verse 11, the Apostle Paul writing. Paul says, and do this knowing the time, right? Have an awareness of the time, what's happening in your time. That now it is time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness Get rid of those things that aren't according to righteousness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So we do still watch. We do still see what's going on around us. We still do analyze it according to the scripture, according to the news, according to the world events, but we must analyze it ultimately according to our own heart. Watch yourself. Make sure you are aligned with the ultimate fulfillment that God intends for you through these prophecies. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. First Thessalonians 5, in verse 1, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, and I want to zero you in on the they. Okay, Paul is pointing his finger actually outward at the world, okay? For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Verse 4, he says, but you, brethren, okay, now point the finger at you, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. He says, you are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night, but let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. That's the goal. That's our purpose. If indeed we are embracing the positive end of prophecy that God has laid before us. Therefore, verse 11, comfort each other 
and edify one another just as you also are doing. So we all have a part to play in this as God's people. And as the time grows short, things are going to become more and more difficult. I told you about the economic crisis in Nigeria. You know, life's pretty good here right now. In many ways, we have our few points of inflation, but it's not 100, 200%. And, you know, where you live often can even influence your perspective on, on this world, and it can motivate you to cry out to God even more desperately. But understand, we have a part to comfort each other and to edify each other as we see the day approaching. Assemble together as you see the day approaching and strengthen one another in this common calling. So again, point four was prophecy gives us understanding of the times in which we live. Fifth and final point, prophecy assures us that God will work out all things for the good in the end. Or you could say as a subpoint, it gives us hope. Prophecy assures us that God will work out all things for the good in the end. Biblical, biblical prophecies tell us where this world is heading under the influence of Satan the devil. It's clearly racing headlong to a place such as never been before. And if you just drop right into the middle of the narrative of prophecy, I'm going to be encouraged by prophecy. I'm going to dive right into this. You can read of some dark and gloomy times. You can read of some distressing times. And you can wonder, wow, what in the world even is God doing? But understand, even in the midst of all of that, prophecy ultimately points to the great hope and encouragement that God will intervene in human history and bring a time of true and lasting peace to the world. Hope is the outcome. So don't drop into the middle of the narrative and live there. Follow it to its end of what God purposes, light and truth and hope and blessing to all who indeed will respond. God will work out all things for the good in the end. I'm coming up very quickly on the holy days, just under two months away. You know, the holy days are chock full of prophecy from Passover through the last great day. Some of it fulfilled, some of it forward-pointing, but bring it all together. Its point is hope and encouragement because the plan of salvation that God has brought is a plan of encouragement to save us out of our condition, to bring us into his family, unto glory, unto righteousness. It is a very hopeful message, and it's exciting as we approach the Holy Days and we walk through these things. You know, prophecy is going to be a big part of our studies. You know, some may be... Prophecy that is now history, but it also still continues pointing on a forward trajectory. For me, the Feast of Tabernacles, the eighth day, you know, that's always so encouraging to us because, again, it focuses on a future time from this point. And we can say, no matter how bad things get, it's going to get better. And God has a plan to clear out the storm clouds and to shine the light of truth in the world. There'll be a time when the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. And there won't be a dry place on this earth that no one doesn't, that no one, let me back up. There won't be a dry place on the earth where no one is ignorant to who God is, to what his purpose is, to what his calling is for them. And they will respond. The saints will reign alongside Jesus Christ on the earth for a thousand years. And again, peace and prosperity and blessing will be the result of living according to that knowledge. It's a very hopeful outcome. 
That's where prophecy is continuing the point. You know, it's kind of, you, you slip into the stream at a certain point, wherever you are in this time and place, but where it is taking to is to a very hopeful, very positive outcome. And it's worth focusing on those things and being reminded that God will work out all things for the good in the end. Let's conclude in one such prophecy. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Again, I encourage you as you study into biblical prophecy and try to figure out how do these things fit together, take it to its ultimate conclusion. Okay, never forget that God is a God of hope, a God of truth, a God of light, a God of peace, and all those things ultimately reign through what it is he's purposed. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the new city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. All these things about the human condition and sin and turning apart from God that brings this result will be swept away in the righteous plan of God. To ultimately all that exists is God the Father, Jesus Christ, his glorified family in the light of truth for eternity. And former things will have passed away. Brethren, that is a message of hope. It's a prophecy. But it takes us to where it is that God wants to take us, to the end results of what it is that he is doing. Brethren, prophecy is ultimately a message of hope. Even if it's a dark time, you drop into the middle of the story, it's always at its end a message of hope. Through prophecy, we have God's assurance that he is in perfect control and that he has a plan. Through prophecy, we're motivated unto repentance, and we're encouraged to live according to God's righteousness today. Through prophecy, we have understanding of the times in which we are living right now and how we ought to respond to those times. And through prophecy, we're assured that God will work out all things for the good in the end. Indeed, prophecy is a gift. Because the Bible tells us prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved under inspiration by God's spirit. Prophecy is a gift of God. It is his words about what he will do and the blessing he will ultimately bring to pass. It's an incredible gift. And it reminds us that the God who declares the end from the beginning has both the will and the power to bring to pass that which he has declared. He is in the driver's seat and he is in control. So, brethren, may we never take the true purposes of prophecy for granted. And may its outcome always be a source of encouragement and strength to you and me. So study into this word. Be enlightened. Consider what God has in store. And be encouraged along the way to live in a life that is right and true, aligned with his purposes.